So just a little bit to know before we dive in. We don't really know a whole lot about Habakkuk other than what we see right here in this book. But he was a prophet in Judah, and there was a lot of corruption and injustice going on around him. This falls in the minor prophet section of the Old Testament. So minor, that has nothing to do with teaching. That's just the length as opposed to the bigger prophets such as Isaiah or Ezekiel. And it has a very different layout. So typically in these minor prophets, we see an address to a group of people, but this is more of a dialogue with God. So we'll see Habakkuk complain to God, God respond, Habakkuk cry out again, God respond again, and then Habakkuk finally closing in prayer. It also looks a lot like a psalm of lament. So think of something like Psalm 13 that opens with, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So this is somebody crying out, asking God where they are. I don't know if you've noticed, but 2020 has been somewhat of a crazy year. So these are just a few of the things that have happened. We started the year with what a lot of people thought was the brink of World War III with Iran. That seems like 10 years ago now, but believe it or not, that was just in January. There have been multiple videos and reports that have surfaced of people of color being murdered, which have led to riots and protests. California is still undergoing the largest rash of wildfires in state history, resulting in over a thousand deaths. We've had so many hurricanes in the U.S. that we've had to start a new alphabet of names for them for just the second time in the nation's history. A tornado ripped through Nashville, killing 25 people and injuring many more. 59 mass shootings were reported in the month of May alone, the most since 2013. And as we're all six feet apart, in case you forgot, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. That has led to 200,000 deaths in the U.S. alone, over a million worldwide. And in the U.S., as of May, 40 million people have been let up, laid off. There's been a rise in domestic abuse, depression, and anxiety, and likely much more to come. So how can we hear that and not just say, God, why? Where are you in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this suffering? And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. So look at chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. How long, Lord, must I call for your help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk is just saying, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? And God tells him, which leads me to my first point of God is always at work. Read verse 5 with me. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am do- going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So this work that God is doing is something that we can't even fathom, right? This is something so big, so grand, so glorious that we can't even think of what it could be. We wouldn't understand even if he told us. So in the midst of this injustice, this pain, this suffering that Habakkuk is experiencing, God is at work. And due to the language that we see here, it's evident that God was already at work. He's working then, and he was going to continue to work. And as we know, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So there's no reason to think that this isn't the case 
here in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of hurricanes, tornadoes, etc. Now, Habakkuk wanted a nice, clean answer to his question, right? He wanted, yes, this is what I'm going to do out of it, this is why, but that's not really what he got. He gets this idea that God is always at work, but this shows God's greater will, work, and sovereignty than if he had just said, here it is. Now, in the midst of everything that's been going on, there have already been so many small things that we can look at and see. I think it's safe to say that we've all understood the need for community much more than we ever have. To an extent, we've gotten sick of our screens and turned to more communal things such as puzzles and board games, and we've learned to appreciate small things, small pleasures that life has to offer that we often take for granted. There's also been much bigger things as the world is in the midst of chaos. People are searching for something. There have been so many reports of people coming to know Christ because of corona, because they're searching for something. They're searching for answers and comfort. There have also been many reports from countries that have restricted access of online churches being very, very good because people normally cannot go to church. So just as God says back that we can't fathom what he's doing, there's much more to come out of all of that. And that's kind of what we would expect to hear. Uh, this is God at work, and that's kind of what I think Habakkuk was expecting to hear. But read verses 6 through 8 with me. This is what God is doing. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth who, to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. Skip to verse 11. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Babylon was always the bad guys. Whenever the Babylonians were around, that was never good. They were the biggest. They were the baddest. Nobody could really stop them. They were even worse than Judah. They were worse than the Judeans. There was more corruption than anything going on. So how is this God at work? This isn't what Habakkuk would expect whenever he says that he is working. He's going to do great things, which leads me to my second point. There is always a greater hope. So look at verses 12 and 13 with me. This is Habakkuk's second complaint. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So this book is in a lot of ways a shorter version of Job. It draws a lot of comparisons. There's this suffering and this crying out like we see in Job. But one of the main differences is Job cries out and says, God, how can you be good with all of this going on? I am following you. I am living as you call us to live, and you are allowing this to happen in my life. But Habakkuk's a little bit different. He knows that God is good, which is why he can't wrap around this. See, we see things like, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this suffering, this injustice? And that's the majority of Habakkuk's second complaint is trying to wrap around 
why God would do this. And so we see in verse one of chapter two that Habakkuk is basically going to stand and wait for God's response, much like a watchman. He's just waiting for God to come back and tell him to answer these questions that he asks. So we're gonna take a little bit of a turn here, but one of my all-time favorite movies is the movie Cars. So you're probably thinking, how in the world do you get from Habakkuk to Cars? And that's a great question. I've asked myself many times. If you haven't seen Cars, it's an animated Pixar movie in a universe just full of cars. There's no people, just cars. And it centers around the hotshot young race car, Lightning McQueen, who through a series of events ends up in the small hick town of Radiator Springs. And it's in this hick town that he meets the grumpy but wise old race car, Doc Hudson, who teaches him many bits of wisdom that he learns throughout the movie. And one of those, while Lightning was racing on a dirt road, a left turn comes up, so naturally he turns left and ends up in a bunch of cactus. So Doc tells him, you have to turn right to go left. Lightning, that's crazy. Why would I turn right to go left? If it's a left turn, I'm gonna turn left. And then as the movie progresses and Lightning, his life has changed in his three days in Radiator Springs, he gets to the big race, he gets run off the track, ends up in the grass, and just as it looks like he's about to crash, slows down, it's very climactic, and he remembers Doc Hudson saying to him, turn right to go left. He does, ends up back on the track, and takes the lead. So this is kind of what we see here, something that sounds so crazy to us that doesn't make any sense, but there's greater wisdom going on. So just as it doesn't make sense to turn right if you're trying to go left, it didn't make sense to Habakkuk why God would send these treacherous people to do good. So in verses two and three, God tells Habakkuk to write down what he's about to hear. And then verse four of chapter two is really the climax of the whole book. This is really the turning point. This is where we start to see the hope that Habakkuk experiences. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. See, Habakkuk was concerned that there was not going to be any justice done to the Judeans, to the Babylonians, that they were just going to get away and the righteous were going to continue to suffer. But God makes it very clear that this is not the case. The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now this wording can be a little confusing, but essentially it's saying that because of someone's faithfulness, they will continue to live. God will deliver them from what is going on. And God is in no way tolerating what is happening with the unrighteous because the rest of chapter two is known as the five woes of Babylon. We see language like, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. God's not approving. God's not allowing this injustice. He's not okay with this sin. He will deliver the righteous and punish the unrighteous. So then we get to chapter three. This is Habakkuk's final response, and this is his prayer. So we see a major tone shift here, where his first two were complaints. God, why are you allowing this to happen? This is his prayer. God, I get it now. Okay, well, well, let's see. So God gives Habakkuk this vision of the coming wrath that is to come. And it starts with, Habakkuk seeing God's power, his strength, verse four. His splendor was like the sunrise. 
Rays flash from his hand where his power was hidden. Verse 6, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. And then God's wrath ensues. We see very graphic, violent things happening to the unjust. But verse 13, this is very important. Look at verse 13. You came out to deliver your people. To save your anointed one, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. The unrighteous do not prevail, but God's people, the righteous ones that live by faith, are delivered. This is the hope that we see in this book. This is ultimately what we're seeing the gospel laid out in this book, and that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Is that we have a greater hope than 2020. We have a greater hope, thank goodness, than a global pandemic. Just like Ephesians 1 says that this is temporary, our citizenship is not here, our citizenship is in heaven, we have a greater hope. Habakkuk had a greater hope than the injustice that was going on around him. We have a greater hope in heaven because of Christ's sacrifice than we do here. And also, thank Jesus for his sacrifice that we don't have to endure the suffering Endure the wrath that we see laid out on the unjust. And that is ultimately what leads Habakkuk to be able to have the joy that he does, is the hope that he has in God. Which brings me to my third point, that Habakkuk chooses joy, just like we can always choose joy. Now, this wasn't Habakkuk just saying, okay, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of, of all this corruption, I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to tell people to have a good day. No, it was he was finding his joy in God because of this greater hope. So read verses 16 through 19 with me. This is the close of Habakkuk's prayer. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So turn to Matthew 6 with me right quick specifically verses 25 and 33. This is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, a passage called Do Not Worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Skip to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, Habakkuk didn't care that there were no buds on the fig tree, that there were no grapes on the vine, because he was seeking God's kingdom first. That's what provided him this hope, this joy that he had. And then read verse 18 with me again in Habakkuk 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Turn to Philippians 4. Specifically verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Isn't this what Habakkuk is doing? He's focusing on the hope that God gives and is finding joy in that, and in the midst of his suffering, is still choosing to rejoice. He's not dwelling on the fact that he doesn't have food. He's not dwelling on the fact that there's no cattle, there's no sheep, so on and so forth. He's rejoicing because of this hope that he has in God. And again, this isn't him just deciding to be happy. This is him finding his hope in God. So in one of my Old Testament classes, I once had to memorize the name meanings of all of the Old Testament prophets, and I found it to be rather pointless until now. Thank you, Dr. Matos. Uh, Habakkuk, actually, his name means to embrace. And we see that at the end of chapter 3 as he embraces God. He embraces the hope that he gives him and chooses to move forward in that. A few years ago, my senior year of high school, I went on a mission trip to Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz is a suburb of San Francisco, and they have a very large homeless population, largely because San Francisco doesn't want the homeless people there, so they will literally put them on buses and drop them off in downtown Santa Cruz. So there were several days where we went into downtown with just paper bags of banana bottle water, pair of socks, stuff like that. And we had some pretty standard conversations with people as we were talking to people, praying with them. Just, you know, pray for shelter, pray that I can get out of here. And then we came across this man. When we offered him the banana, the bottle of water, and the socks, he essentially just laughed at us, a homeless man. And he's like, I don't need those. And I'm like, you're, you're homeless. Yet you're literally not wearing socks right now. Yeah, you do. I didn't say that. I was definitely thinking it. But he ended up asking if he could pray for us. We didn't even get a chance to pray for him because this man who literally had nothing was praying for us and thanked us for what we were doing in his community. And I think he eventually took the socks but said to give the banana and the water to somebody who needed it. That was one of the greatest demonstrations of joy I've ever seen. Somebody who literally had nothing and turned down a free bottle of water, banana, and pair of socks, I have plenty of water, and I would take a free bottle of water. He had nothing and was so joyful in the midst of it and asked if he could pray for us. Now, again, this isn't all to say that things won't continue to happen. Suffering won't continue. Pain won't continue. This isn't to say that you can't cry out to God and say, God, why? Because Habakkuk does it twice. He says, God, why? God, why would you do it like this? But ultimately, that's not where he ends up. He ends up choosing joy. And that's where we need to end up in the midst of everything going on is to find the hope that we have in Christ, that it doesn't end here, and to find joy in that. Because God's always at work. There's always a greater hope. And we can always choose joy.